Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. We have 90 minutes ahead of us with six broadcast partners from around the world. They're going to be available for us to get insight on current events that are unfolding that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. So glad you could join us. We're here in temporary studios in West Columbia, South Carolina. Stay tuned for this broadcast. Winky Madad is going to talk about, you'll not believe it, a fourth election within two years in Israel. Sam Rohr is going to give us an update on the political activities here in the United States and how a Christian should deal with what's happening. And then David James, we're going to be focusing on the coronavirus vaccine. Should you take it? What should you do? Is it dangerous? We'll talk about that with David James when he comes to the broadcast table. But right now at the broadcast table, Ken Timmerman, he comes to give us a pulpery of geopolitical events happening around the world. And Ken, I want to start with this one. I understand there's a report coming out of the Middle East that the United States flew two of their major bombers over the Persian Gulf. They did this to get the attention of Iran and shut down the possibility Iran may try an attack of some type, either on the United States or Israel. What can you tell us on this story? Jimmy, I think this is an extremely uh, important development over the past week for the United States to fly these two B-52 bombers from the continental United States, from Barksville, Louisiana. It shows the Iranians we are not dependent on our aircraft carriers. If we have a carrier, as we do, that is leaving the Persian Gulf area, it doesn't mean that we are leaving that region without U.S. cover. There have been reports uh, from the Pentagon over the past couple days that the reason that they wanted to make this show of force to the Iranians is that they've been picking up intelligence that the Iranians have been beefing up supplies to their militias in Iraq. Uh, There may be threats to the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. There may be threats to the remaining U.S. bases in Iraq, or it could be some other type of operation. But the Pentagon has made it very clear that they see an Iranian buildup in Iraq, and they wanted to make sure the Iranians understood that they could not get away with any adventurous strike on the United States or U.S. allies in the region. And closer to home, there's another story coming out I want you to talk to us about, Ken. That is that the Chinese military are considering, or maybe even moving forward, in putting up bases there in the Caribbean about 90 miles off the shores of the state of Florida. Can you update that story for us? Well, the Chinese have been expanding their soft power around the world. They call it the Belt and Road Initiative, where they're building ports, uh, establishing companies, making loans, buying up assets in Africa, and I think is pretty uh, disturbing, where they are actually buying port facilities in the Bahamas and elsewhere. This is something that, you know, has really, really been off of the radar screen here in the United States. So they're in the Bahamas. They're also in Kingston, Jamaica. This is, you know, right off of our coast in, in Florida. Uh, 90 miles off the coast. It's like, if you wish, this is akin to what the Soviet Union did in 1961 with Cuba, 90 miles off of the United States coast, Uh, except they don't have, as far as we know, nuclear missiles at these places. These are commercial 
seaports. But this has been part of the Chinese pattern. They're getting closer and closer to the United States. They would like to control the Panama Canal. Eventually, those assets would allow them to encircle us in the event that they decide the moment is right for an actual shooting war. Remember, the Chinese have said they want to become the world's hegemon by 2049, the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Revolution. They seem to be pushing up that date because they also said that they would allow Hong Kong to remain free for 50 years after the turnover in 1999. And as of today, Hong Kong is now fully under the control of Communist China. So that 2049 date could be pushed up by 15, even 20 years, and the Chinese are inching closer to the American homeland. Well, I do believe that we need to keep a very close eye on what China is doing in our world today because they are significant as you go to the prophetic word of God, Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12. Let me return, Ken, to the Middle East. We talk often about the Palestinians, what they're doing. They're a threat to the Jewish state of Israel. And it seems now they're getting very cozy with Turkey and Tayyip Erdogan and his plans to be the leader of the entire Islamic world with a opportunity to set up a caliphate. Palestinians and Turkey, they could be dangerous if they join up together, could they not? Well, isn't this an extraordinary historical irony, Jimmy, because Turkey uh, actually controlled that region of the world up until World War One, And when you see the old architecture of much of the old city of Jerusalem, it is Turkish architecture, right? <laughs> it, it, these are Turkish buildings. Ikram Sabri, who is the main, he's the imam of the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem and who recently went to Istanbul to meet with Erdogan. I visited Ikram Sabri a couple of years ago in Jerusalem, a number of years ago in Jerusalem, in his palace just on the other side of the Wailing Wall. It was an Ottoman palace that he lived in. So these are long-standing ties you have between the religious community in Jerusalem, uh, the Muslim religious community, uh, the imam of the mosque, and the former Ottoman Empire and the emerging Ottoman Empire of tomorrow, led by Erdogan. So this is not a break with the past. This is not a break with tradition. This is a resumption of a long-standing pattern. Clearly, Erdogan has indicated repeatedly in the past year, two years, that he sees Turkey as a major player in the future of what we think of as the Holy Land, a land holy to the three major Abrahamic religions. And that does fill in the gaps when you try to understand Bible prophecy, especially Ezekiel 38, verses 2 and 6. talks about Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma, modern-day Turkey. Well, let's stay focused on Turkey and tie up Erdogan just a little bit longer. Looks like to me, Kim, that uh, Erdogan has already decided Joe Biden will be the next president, says he'll have a discussion after that happens with the United States and Biden about the strains between Turkey and the United States. Now, that's somewhat presumption, but uh, it's a possibility, and He's waiting to see if uh, Biden's going to be a little bit easier on him than President Trump was. Well, that, that's going to be interesting to see. And right now, I'd give it 50-50. Uh, Biden, in general, has shown himself to be far more accommodating to America's 
adversaries around the world. But the other side of that equation is that all of Turkey's problems today with the United States, all of Erdogan's problems with the United States, have been caused by Erdogan's actions. Because, in fact, he has had a very good personal relationship with President Trump. The two get along very well, and, and President Trump has said repeatedly that he admires Erdogan personally. I don't share that admiration, but it is significant because this has been a rocky time for U.S. relations with Turkey, and it has not been because of the personality of the president. So I am not sure, you know, unless Biden is willing to cave completely to Erdogan and his demand, I am not 100 percent sure that a Biden administration, should there be one, is going to be any more sanguine towards Turkey's misbehavior. And Turkey's misbehavior really is manifold. Number one, it's their recent purchase of Russian S-400 missile defense systems. Turkey's supposed to be a member of NATO. For them to buy the top-of-the-line Russian air defense missile means that the Russians are getting into the NATO air defense network, which poses a threat to all of our frontline aircraft, including the F-35, which is why President Trump cut Turkey out of the F-35 program. I find, would find that very difficult to believe that a Biden administration would bring Turkey back into the F-35 program. But it's also because of Turkey's support for jihadi Muslim groups in Syria and elsewhere. Now, that is something that is absolutely inimical to the United States, uh, to our friends and allies in the region. The Saudis have been opposing them. So that is another thing which is based on Erdogan's behavior. Whether he thinks Biden will be more gentle towards him than Trump, I don't know. But he has stated publicly, Erdogan has, that he will now take a wait-and-see attitude to see how Biden uh, approaches him. Ken, let's take a just brief moment to discuss this final issue I want to talk to you about. We cannot have a conversation without talking about Iran, and the president of Iran is vowing to help Syria confront Israel until the Golan Heights has been liberated. Israel cannot afford to give up that piece of real estate, but Iran and Syria are dedicated to doing that. Well, okay, the Iranians always uh, kind of bite off more than they can chew, and right now they are vowing this support, both economic and military, to Syria. They have nothing to export today except for their ideology. I don't think the Iranians have got an awful lot of assets besides these militia groups and besides the missiles that they are building to launch against Israel to offer Syria either for its reconstruction or for any kind of diplomatic effort to regain the Golan Heights. Because it's absolutely certain that the Syrian military is not going to retake the Golan Heights by themselves. They would need help from not just Iran, but from much greater powers such as Russia uh, and Turkey. All of these stories that I've had a conversation about with Ken Timmerman, are ongoing activities that we'll need to continue to cover. That's why we are so glad to be able to bring Ken to these microphones on a weekly basis. Ken, very important report you've given us. Thank you so very much. We'll have another conversation next week. It's always my pleasure, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's got his Middle East news update. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. By the way, when you're at my website, go to my Prophecy Bookstore. A special deal for Christmas from Prophecy Today. We have the Prophetic Book Essential 3-Pack. Now, that is great because these three books are essential for your understanding of Bible prophecy. The book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, and the book of Revelation. Those are the three books. I have commentaries written on all three of these, the most important books in the Bible prophetically because all other prophetic passages of Scripture dovetail into these three books. Each one addresses God's plan for a different strand of the human family. Daniel for the Gentiles, Ezekiel for the Jews, and Revelation for the Christians. In this special offer, you will receive my studies of these three special books, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation, Daniel, a prophet to the Gentiles, Ezekiel, the man in the message, and Revelation, a chronology. Normal price, $45. We're going to give it to you for only $30. Let me remind you to buy right now. And by the way, when you're thinking about it, please prayerfully consider making us a part of your end-of-the-year giving. Those who partner with us keep the ministry of Prophecy Today moving forward. To donate your tax-deductible gift, please visit prophecytoday.com forward slash partners or call us at 8prophecy8, that's 877-674-3298. And thank you very much. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios in West Columbia, South Carolina. We're here. I'll speak all day tomorrow at a one-day prophecy conference at the Grace Baptist Church. Pastor David Goforth inviting everybody to come, 9.30, 10.30, and then at 5 o'clock, Prophecy Q&A, 6 o'clock, the last of the teachings on Bible prophecy. We'll be focusing on Hanukkah and Christmas. Hope you can come and join us in our study. Well, as promised, David Dolan comes with his Middle East News update. This is an essential report that you need to hear each and every week because David gives us very important key information about what's happening in that major region of the world as it relates to Bible prophecy, the Middle East. And David, it seems like good news. Morocco and Israel normalizing relations. This is the fourth of these nations, these Arab nations, coming together and finally deciding to have a relationship with Israel. Good news, is it not? Oh, definitely good news, Jimmy, although not terribly unexpected because Israel and Morocco did actually have diplomatic relations following the signing of the Oslo Accords in 1993, establishment was made, and actually Yitzhak Rabin, the late uh, Prime Minister, and Shimon Peres, then Foreign Minister, traveled to Morocco and met with then King Hassan, who was known as a liberal Arab leader relative to many others. And of course, Jimmy, it's very exciting to many Israelis because the second largest group of immigrant Jews in Israel are Moroccan Jews. Over a million people in Israel trace some of their family, at least, back to Morocco. 
That was the largest Jewish community in any Arab country over the centuries, a highly educated community because France basically controlled the area before that, Spain, very Europeanized, but definitely Sephardic Jews, a little bit darker in color usually, and a very religious, the Shas religious party is largely made up of Moroccan Jews, Jews of that descent. They have the annual Maimoda festival. I think you'll remember that, having lived in Israel. It comes the day after Passover ends, the week-long festival of Passover ends, and all the Moroccan Jews and many others uh, join them in the city parks and other places around the country for um, barbecues and all sorts of things. They have a, a strong culture. So there's always been those ties. But, of course, after the uh, second Palestinian uprising in 2000, uh, King Hassan broke all the diplomatic relations that had been established, but now they've been reestablished by uh, King Mohammed, the new king there, and very exciting news, and it's going to be uh, another destination for Israeli tourists to feel comfortable in, and uh, just an exciting move indeed, and another fruit of the Abraham a covenants that President Trump and Jared Kirshner, who was very involved, by the way, in negotiating this deal behind the scenes with the foreign minister of Morocco, produced. Yes, a very interesting development. Well, David, talk to me. I get the report that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is going to make his first official visit to Egypt in more than a decade. Is that true? What's going to be the purpose for the trip? Well, that's what we're hearing, so it looks like it is on. The purpose is really, I think, to reassert the peace treaty with Egypt. We've got to remember that before these now four uh, recent additions to the peace list, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Sudan, and now Morocco, that long before that, Egypt made peace in 1978-79, the Camp David peace accords that Jimmy Carter uh, brokered in at uh, Camp David. Those ties have been long there, but they became extremely strained, to say the least, after the Muslim Brotherhood, the Mohammed Morsi, became president during the so-called Arab Spring a decade ago. And there was talk even of the ties being severed entirely at that time. It didn't come to that point, but the peace became extremely cold. And ever since he was forced out of office by al-Sisi, the current leader, ex-general, ties have warmed up. But uh, this would be sort of a icing on that cake for Netanyahu to go there, be seen in Cairo with the leaders, and uh, it would be another sort of reinforcement of that long treaty. Talk to me, David, about Israel, another breaking story, calling their Russian envoy in and having a conversation after the Russian envoy made this statement that the problem in the Middle East is not Iran, but instead Israel. This was an interesting statement. Well, and it continues the trend that we can rejoice in these peace treaties with these four Arab countries, and uh, Israelis are celebrating that. But in the meantime, relations with one of their closest allies, Russia, have deteriorated considerably as of Vladimir Putin, frankly, has just become more and more radical in his uh, not only stand towards Israel, but against the United States and the harassment of U.S. forces taking place, and, of course, the military moves he's made in Ukraine and in the, the Balkans and uh, all these things going on. So, you know, they've been moving slowly away from 
support of Israel. But again, I said the Moroccan Jews are the second largest ethnic community in Israel. Well, Russian Jews are the largest. So there's still, oh, a million and a half, I think, Russian-speaking Jews living in Israel today. So those ties are are there, and there's a lot of tourism between the two countries. There's formal ties and all of that. But we've been seeing, again, more support for the Arab side, more support for Turkey in Russia, and closer ties with China. So this just goes along with all of that, it seems. This last week, David, uh, the Prime Minister of Israel stopped to thank President Trump on the third anniversary of the United States' recognition of Jerusalem as a political capital of the Jewish state. That was an unbelievable historic event, and of course it should be honored on an annual basis, should it not? Well, and it is, and I believe that will continue, as you and I have talked about in previous weeks, if Joe Biden is sworn in as president, as seems uh, likely. He has no appetite for uh, moving the embassy back to Tel Aviv. Again, it was Democratic senators and congressmen were a large force in the 1990s push from the Congress to uh, move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. It's a very popular issue amongst American Jews who, uh, as I mentioned, 70% of them voted for Biden at uh, the poll show. So, you know, that that's not going to be set back. And American uh, Jews are another large community, about 350,000 uh, Jews trace their background to the United States. And uh, for them to, and a lot of them live around Jerusalem, so for them to be able to go to the embassy right there is very convenient. But it also is a, is a peace move, because as you know, it's built right along the line in South Jerusalem between the old Arab-controlled area that Jordan had, the West Bank, and uh, Israel proper. And so it serves both communities, whereas before we had a consulate on the Arab side uh, near the old city that served the Arabs and another one uh, in the center of Jerusalem that served the Jews. So they're now all going together into one building. Well, if that's not a move towards peace, I don't know what is. And Biden sees that, so that's going to continue to be celebrated, I'm sure. David, last week we talked about the possibility that after that secret meeting between the Prime Minister of Israel and the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, that they may give Saudi Arabia control of Al-Aqsa, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. However, pushback from King Abdullah of Jordan this week, he said, no way is that going to happen. That battle, that controversy over the Temple Mount, going to intensify in these days, will it not? That's uh, the most important real estate in the world, as you often say, and anybody that studies it knows. So, yes, that controversy is going to continue. It'll be interesting to see where King Mohammed of Morocco uh, takes a stand on that issue. He'll probably have something to say about it at some point. He has very close ties with Saudi Arabia, but also very close ties with Jordan. Now, we have to say this is the religious control up there. Overall, Israel does uh, run things on the Temple Mount in the sense that Israeli police have a outpost up there. They can close the entrances off as they do when there's rioting and trouble. Uh, during the um, coronavirus, the gates were often closed, and it was Israeli security forces that enforced that. But uh, this is the religious control of the site. It's more an issue of prestige, frankly, than anything else, Jimmy. But uh, it certainly would be an incentive, another incentive for Saudi Arabia to join the Abraham Accords. But again, it seems like they've decided 
to wait until the new administration comes in, whether it be Trump again or more likely Biden, and see how things go after that. So they're not pushing it, it doesn't seem at this time. But they certainly didn't say no to the reported offer that uh, Netanyahu made to them to assume that control. And he's saying, well, we'll deal with Jordan and you know, this is this is not going to upset the peace with Jordan, but it certainly won't help to strengthen that peace treaty as well. That's the voice of David Dolan. He's the man who gives us on a weekly basis his Middle East news update, key for those of us who are students of Bible prophecy. David, thank you so very much. Key report, you give it always with an excellent presentation. Appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. Glad to do it, and God bless We're going to take a break. When we come back, I've got Winky Madad standing by. You won't believe it, but there's a possibility for a fourth election in Israel within two years. We'll talk with Winky about that in a moment. All ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We are going to go to Israel with Winky Madad, our broadcast partner. I have other issues I want to talk to Winky about But, Winky, I understand that Morocco, the Arab nation there in Africa, has agreed to normalize relations with the Jewish state of Israel. What can you tell us? Well, it came over the news, basically, of course, by a tweet by President Trump, which announced that diplomatic relations were going to be established. I don't know at this moment that I'm talking to you exactly what the details are, but I presume it will follow more or less on the basis of the recent arrangements and agreements that were signed with other Arab states in the region. Interestingly enough, President Trump then added that the United States will recognize Moroccan sovereignty over Western Sahara which has been a very hot potato in international law for a very long time. I am not an international lawyer, but I suggest that we keep an eye out for extending Israeli sovereignty over Judea and Samaria, which many people have tried to compare over the last decade or so. Very interesting developments, and of course that would be a great opportunity for Judea and Samaria to come under the sovereignty of the state of Israel, would it not? That's my thinking, but we'll just have to wait because I'm sure beyond everything else, international jurists will uh, begin to get into this and we'll see what happens. But I don't want to be a prophet, uh, Jimmy, but I'm just trying to point out what we should be looking for. 
Well, the reason I called you, and I'm glad you were able to give us that late breaking news and some details at least, at least what you know as of today. But here's what I wanted to call you about. I cannot believe it. A fourth election in two years. I can almost say, tell me it's not so, Winky, but it does seem like it is going to come about, doesn't it? Well, the government has been stalled for a good few months now, and I'm going to blame both sides since I'm not in the government or a member of the Knesset. But the facts are that a preliminary reading of a bill to dissolve the Knesset has passed. In our parliamentary system, there are another three votes that have to be taken on that, but they are advancing. They have set up a date, more or less, just be a week before the Passover holiday, uh, towards the middle of March, if I'm not mistaken, or late March. And they're getting ready. Whether this is a game of what I used to call, uh, when I was much younger, playing chicken, which person is going to yield first, I do not know. It's just not working out with the combination of the center-left party and the Likud and its religious coalition with the blue and white faction. This all leads me to the question of why isn't it that Israeli political leaders and parties itself, they cannot seem to keep a government together. What is the problem here among these political officials? Well, the specific issue in this round of coalition of government is that blue and white demanded what we call parity. In other words, despite the fact that they were coming into a government with only something like, I don't know, 15 to 18 seats, I can't remember now, they demanded a 50-50 division of whatever was in the government. Uh, we've discussed this in years past uh, when we said, for example, that small parties such as ultra-religious or other parties do get a larger representation because they needed more. But usually it's a little bit more proportional. This time, uh, Blue and White uh, demanded that. They got it. And then... Things began to break apart because they were demanding certain things that Netanyahu was not going to give in on. They were demanding things of Netanyahu, which he was going to give in on. And things began to play out and distrust set in, which is nothing abnormal among politicians who usually stab everybody else in the back. And because our system is built on a necessity of getting 61 seats out of 120 in order to do anything as a government, and no party ever gets 61 seats, the system remains relatively fragile. Winky, I know, as you said just a moment ago, you're not a prophet or even the son of a prophet, uh, but what is your forecast? Who could win if there is a fourth election? Oh, Jimmy, a little bit too early for that. One Likud member of Knesset, a prominent one, I should say, because he has been a minister in at least three different ministries over the years, resigned from the Knesset in order to set up a new party uh, just to the right of Likud, but without the fanfare of uh, Naftali Bennett and his religious background. And immediately in the polls, Blue and White had the bottom fall out, as did the Lapid. There is a future uh, party, and so everything is really up in the air. It also might destroy Bennett's chances 
because he's also losing votes because a lot of people in the center uh, are moving over to Gidon Sar while he is a traditional Jew, uh, is not religious, and he's more secular. Well, we'll uh, continue, of course, to talk with you as we get closer to that possible fourth election time and get your evaluation of who may come out on top. However, do you believe that the coronavirus situation there in Israel will play any part in these upcoming elections? Well, Jimmy, if I had to count any number of factors that entered Netanyahu's thinking on whether or not to go ahead with elections or to oppose them, I have to count the fact that he knew that this week the vaccinations here in Israel arrived, or the beginning of them, the first tens of thousands, and I think many more are on their way, which would mean that, A, he would be seen as the successful manager of the COVID-19 crisis, and that by March we should be able to have a freer election in terms of restrictions on movement and gathering together, which would, of course, work in his favor in terms of getting people out to vote for him. What about Netanyahu's legal problems? Any aspect of that interfere in his re-election? As I mentioned to you in previous conversations, Jimmy, it's a long two-year road, in my estimation, for that trial. At the present moment, he is successfully battling a public relations campaign on his behalf that is putting the prosecution on the defensive all the time, accusing them of hiding material uh, witness testimony, irregular handling of the investigation, that is just getting people uh, more and more opposed, shall I say, in their mind to the fact that he was put on trial. I don't know whether he's guilty or not, but if you ask anybody in the street, do you feel confident that Netanyahu is innocent, or at least will not be found guilty, that is a very high figure, and that's working in his favor again. We'll have to continue our conversation with Winky Madad as it relates to the political activities in the state of Israel. Never a dull moment when you look at politics in the Jewish state. But just before we conclude our conversation, Winky, talk to me about Hanukkah. You're in the midst of that eight-day Jewish feast time. Talk to us about how you and your family are dealing with coronavirus and the observance of Hanukkah. Well, as usual with traditional families, and even those who are not that traditional, candles are lit. We have special foods, uh, what we call in Hebrew souf taniot, a form of a donut, latkes, which are fried potato patties, I guess I could sort of describe them, with applesauce on them, Jimmy. They're very delicious with a lot of calories. And as for family, uh, actually we're still waiting for an official announcement that we can get together. There has been talk of limiting uh, either at night or family gatherings. So at, at this moment, as I talk, we're still quite unsure. We planned actually an outdoor uh, gathering in Jerusalem so we'd have no problem, uh, but we still haven't finished that, although my wife has bought presents for all the grandchildren. Well, that's number one, that 
They need to make the priority taking care of those grandbabies. Well, I got to tell you, you're talking about the foods for Hanukkah. I think I'm going to try to see if I can book a flight and get to Jerusalem in time to participate in some of that eating during the eight-day festival of Hanukkah. Thank you so much, Winky, for this update for the breaking news about Morocco, and we appreciate it. Have a great Hanukkah period. We'll talk to you again real soon. Jimmy, once again, thank you very much for having me on the program. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Very, very interesting conversation with Winky Madad talking about the fourth election within two years and the possibility of that happening. Well, we're going to change regions of the world right now. We're going to go over to the European Union. It's a key location as it relates to Bible prophecy. And our man, John Rood, is on top of the stories coming out of that part of the world. John, let me begin with this. I understand there's going to be a European summit. And at the top of the agenda, the Turkish sanctions. At the same time, Erdogan just kind of ignoring this threat. What can you tell us? The European Union is always in a credibility crisis. And because of this, this is why we need to be mindful that they're always working towards these reorganizations and possibilities to move in a stronger way. The credibility that the threat of sanctions, even though now that the situation has gotten worse with Turkey and President Erdogan is not necessarily taking the European Union seriously, even with the opposition from France and Cyprus and so forth, they can't move in unity very easily, and we see the, the situation there. The sanctions just aren't necessarily effective. Usually it's basically against you know a certain small section of the Turkish government or a couple individuals. Uh, it's a big word, but in, in reality it doesn't mean a whole lot, and the European Union's being walked over. We talk, John, often about terrorism on this program, in particular the Middle East, but now there's a warning coming from Iran to Europe about terrorism. Can you give us an update on that story? Iran has used uh, terrorism as big leverage. You know, even during the period that the Iran nuclear deal was in action, there were still uh, numerous attacks in EU countries from Iran uh, uh, state-based terrorism. Uh, Britain, France, and Germany. And so they just continue to have an enormous amount of attacks and plannings that have been uncovered, uh, some successfully, some not so. But the list is absolutely startling to see what Iran has planned in Europe. Together, it just basically shows that it's an intimidation to do things our way or uh, face these consequences. Iran is definitely sponsoring state-based terrorism in Europe, and Europe doesn't quite know what to do. Again, they give their uh, weak and the token response. It's very difficult, and the leadership in Iran doesn't really take the EU seriously. It's the same as in, in Turkey, the situation we just said. The response eventually will have to be a stronger core of EU nations, and we know what that type of thing can lead to. Well, meanwhile, Iran has put together a nuclear centrifuge plan, and it's becoming very troubling as it relates to Germany, France, and the United Kingdom. 
Give us an update on that, please. Yes, Germany, France, and the U.K. are known as the E3. They've come against these plans for Iran to install advanced centrifuges for nuclear enrichment. Of course, this is the type of thing that was in the Iranian nuclear deal. They're bringing out that this is not part of the deal, but Iran is basically saying they can use what part of the deal they want when they want it, and there is no deal officially at this moment. Israel has come out, top diplomats, uh, saying that they have no confidence whatsoever in the Iran nuclear deal working. It certainly appears that way. Iran is beginning to leverage the United States uh, against Europe, and they're willing to work with a Biden administration, which in the past has been quite lax. We're going to stay on top of all of the, these stories that I have given to John Rood to give us insight into, because these are stories that will set the stage for the prophetic scenario found in God's Word to be fulfilled. Great report, John. Thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. We'll look forward to it. Very important conversation with John Rood. Each and every week, it's key to have John's European Union update as we watch the political in the European Union setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. Now we're going to bring to this broadcast table a broadcast partner with me, and I partner with him every other week on his national radio program, Stand in the Gap Today. I'm referring to Sam Rohrer, who is the host of that program, not only on radio, but on television as well. And Sam, let's talk about what's going on as it relates to the after effects, aftermath of what is happening in the presidential election. Now, you and I both know that Romans chapter 13, verse 1, and Revelation chapter 17, verse 17, play key roles in whoever is going to be ultimately the president of the United States. Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, suggesting that God ordains all that are in higher authority, and that would be the president. And then Revelation seventeen seventeen, talking about the Lord Jesus putting into the hearts of political leaders to make political decisions that will actually fulfill the will of God. Even with that being said from the scriptures, Sam, it's still pretty hard for us conservative Christians with what is going on today. Would you not agree? Jimmy, I would agree, and I think you went to the heart of the issue that most concerns me, because when we talk about government, we talk about authority, Romans 13, all authority, which is, its, which is civil government, but it's also the individual and it's the family it's the ordering of authority that really is talked about in Romans 13, that God has ordered and ranked all authority, all being under him. But then it says civil government. God specifically gives to them the sword of justice. And that sword, under God's design, is to be used to praise those who do well and to punish those who do evil, to effectively carry out the nature and the character of God in his justice to enact and effectuate what is, in effect, God's law among mankind. And if any civil authority does that, then God will bless that nation. If authority turns that sword, throws God off, 
and uses that power that God gives civil authority to actually work against those who do well, to persecute the, the, the believer, the, the ones who do right, and to praise those who do evil, then all of a sudden things change. And you cited that I think what we're witnessing now as we walk into these end days, which we have to agree it is, God has put the pieces in place, that God continues to move about the nations of the world, the leaders, the kings of those nations. And I brought to the very clear fact that, as Nebuchadnezzar said in the book of Daniel, when God put him on his knees because he was a proud man, the first thing he did when his sense came back to him as he stood and he lifted his hands to heaven and he said, I do extol the God of heaven uh, who is able to lift up and to put down those he will. I think we need to have that confidence as believers today because we may call him the president, the position of president, but in biblical terms, it's the king. It's the lead position of executive authority in this nation. And God is doing something right now in regard to what power, what authority will come to be in this nation, and in the whole world watches. So I think we're in very, very eventful days, and I'll just leave it right there at that point. God is doing something big, because he is the one that raises up and puts down, and he is the one who is aligning the nations of the world today, ultimately to be focused right there in the Middle East around Israel, but uh, we're standing a little far off, but we're watching it nonetheless. Sam, do you see any way that the election could possibly be overturned and bring forth Trump as the next president? Uh, I, I, in fact, do. I do see a pathway there. And right now, as we speak, perhaps the best one is this. The court is now entertaining the lawsuit from the state of Texas, joined on now by 18 other states, all filed on the basis of uh, constitutionality, but it goes to the issue of equal protection under the law, effectively saying that Texas and these 18 states have been negatively impacted. The right and the expectation and the integrity of the votes of the people in their state as it regards the election of the President of the United States have been tampered with and they have been denied their guarantee of equal protection because the four states, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Georgia, did not follow their constitutional law and, by many evidences, permitted different applications of how ballots would be dealt with and, and so forth, uh, we, even within their state. That is a clear case, and they filed it before the U.S. Supreme Court as the original court of jurisdiction. So the Supreme Court will hear the evidence. They will entertain, kind of like a grand jury, but they'll also make the final decision and I believe that the decision of the Supreme Court on this matter, if they rule constitutionally, and I think they're going to bring in the lawsuit from Pennsylvania, probably in combination with that, but if they rule constitutionally, they will either rule that the, the entire election in those four states are invalid and it has to be redone, or they're going to invalidate a number of the uh, uh, identified votes that are in question, and if they do, then the election swings to the president. Now, I don't know if that will happen or not, but the pathway 
is there. But I think the road ahead of us, Jimmy, is going to be bumpy, because if that happens, the enemies of freedom, those behind this effort for election fraud, um, will rise up. So I think we've got a bumpy road ahead of us in this nation, regardless of what the Supreme Court does. And we'll all have to stand by and see how that bumpy road evolves into what will be ultimately a Supreme Court decision. A key, though, I think in the very near future would be the Senate race there in Georgia needing to win two of the Senate seats that are up for grabs. What are your thoughts about that? Well, that is a key race. There's no question about it because it will determine the, the makeup of the Senate. Now, I would put this out there. It's not being said too much right now, but if, in fact, the Supreme Court takes this Texas lawsuit and they agree that there were major infractions in these four states, it really opens the door for a consideration that there were problems in other states. Now, one of those four states is Georgia. As I look at this situation unfolding, Sam, I become very much concerned about a possible President Biden and his picks for his cabinet, one in particular, Javier Becerra, who is at this point in time the Attorney General in California. Biden has appointed him as the Secretary of Health and Human Services. However, he has no health industry experience or in that field of expertise at all. He's very, very progressive in pro-abortion activities. This concerns me. Would it have a concern as far as your concern, especially with what he in that position could do as it relates to the Christian experience and being, of course, pro-life? Uh, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more because the other evidences of people being picked at this point by a Biden for potential spots, they reflect the kind of makeup that the Obama administration had. And uh, those were people that were not picked on the basis of their, well, the, consider the connection to the Constitution was not even a consideration. That had nothing to do with it. There was nothing done in that administration and with what I've seen so far of Joe Biden that has anything at all, matter with uh, how a person views God, the Constitution, or biblical morality. In fact, uh, they are pursuing, he's pursuing thus far, a complete opposite. In other words, I mean, to me, it appears to me that he's already said anybody who has a fear of God, who says or, or actually believes in the Constitution, we're going to take them off the table and not even consider them. So it's a danger, potentially very, very dangerous lineup for anyone concerned about freedom, the preaching of the gospel, or anything related to how we have known this nation to be. These are... This is, a, this is a big deal coming up. And Sam, with all this said, we must go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, where we are exhorted to pray for those in higher authority. I appreciate what you've given to us, some great insight into the situation we're living in now. But I would like to ask you, as we conclude our conversation, would you pray for those in higher authority and God's direction in all that we've talked about today? I absolutely will. Heavenly Father, we are glad that you are in charge, O oh Lord. Uh, you, you have said, you have established authority. You've given all authority to your Son, Jesus Christ. One day, Lord, all in positions of authority, every person from the king to the person 
as an average citizen, will bow before you one day and acknowledge that you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We would pray, Lord, this time, right now, as we witness in our country the unfolding of who may come into positions of authority, that, Lord, you would raise up those you will, that you would bring down, like Nebuchadnezzar, those who are proud in spirit and who need to be humbled. We pray that in this whole time of the election, I pray, Lord, that you would bring forth that which is true, bring forth in evidence your justice. And, Lord, as you did in the days of Jehu, King Jehu with Israel, that you would bring judgment against the household of Jezebel, those people who have affronted the God of heaven and killed the babies of the land and raised up and supported idolatry of all types, that, Lord, you would do that in our day. Give great strength and faith and courage to those who do know who you are and who do fear you. Give them strength beyond their days, beyond their measure, and may we witness, above all, Lord, what is done to be done as a result of your hand and bring glory to your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Sam. Appreciate the conversation. Hope to talk again real soon with a different story behind what our issues have been today. But thank you. Appreciate it. God bless you, Jimmy. Well, we're going to have to take a break for the news. We have one more broadcast partner. We're going to be talking with David James about the coronavirus vaccine. You do not want to miss that conversation. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. This is our last half hour. Thank you for giving me 90 minutes. If you have done that, we've given you the world and our broadcast partners giving information to you to help you understand how every event happening in this world setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We have one more broadcast partner, David James, will be talking about the coronavirus vaccinations. You need to stay tuned for that. Let me give you the poll question today. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. On the home page, left-hand column, if you scroll down, you'll find the question, do you believe Hanukkah the Jewish Festival of Lights, celebrated by Jesus Christ, John chapter 10, verse 22, points to the birth of Jesus since Hanukkah took place on December the 25th, 165 B.C. That's the poll question. Be sure to answer it. And while you're at the website, go to my Prophecy Bookstore. We have a number of items that will be on sale during this Christmas season. It's the one-stop shopping headquarters for those who are Christians and interested in Bible prophecy. That's my Prophecy Bookstore located on my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I will have a conversation focused on the coronavirus vaccine, and we'll see what is a possibility of everyone having to take that vaccine. That's controversial. We'll talk about it in a moment. But David, as we have for many months now, you and I begin our discussion with a question from a listener. 
And this particular question we're going to bring to the table concerns the matter of death as it relates to the rapture. Great subject. Want to hear what you're going to say. It is a great subject and a great question. Here's what our listener wrote. If it is appointed for man to die once, how can we be raptured? And, of course, he's talking about how to reconcile uh, Hebrews 10.27 with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So Hebrews 10.27 says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul writes, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So, Jimmy, no matter what one thinks about the rapture and millennium, there will be a final generation of believers who are alive when the Lord returns, and somehow those believers must be transformed from mortal to glorified bodies. So the first thing to consider is the difference between absolute statements and principles that are generally true but not necessarily always true. So, for example, Lazarus actually died twice, as did others who were raised from the dead. And also, there's no indication that Enoch or Elijah died before they were caught up to heaven. Secondly, I would say the point of the Hebrews passage is to show that Christ's sacrificial death was a singular final event that brought the need for ongoing sacrifices to an end. So we need to see the purpose of the writer in that passage. And although that passage is directed at Jewish believers, it's also a good argument against the Roman Catholic doctrine of the Mass and the Eucharist, which they see as an ongoing extension of the sacrifice of the cross, which cannot be true. Very good answer, David. Man, I'm going to steal some of that and use it as my own answers when I'm confronted with that particular question. Well, talking about emails, you know, we have another listener who sent us an email about the coronavirus vaccine actually led us to deal with this issue this week on the broadcast. I would imagine some of our listeners may have wondered if and when we were going to discuss it. So let's begin that discussion. Well, this email came from an international listener, actually, who catches the program on the Internet. And the listener wrote, My husband and I listen to Prophecy Today on a regular basis and appreciate the biblical perspective on the news, as well as the segment addressing current issues. Then she said, I have a question regarding COVID-19 vaccines. I've heard various reports stating that aborted fetal cells are used to develop vaccines, which would, for me, be a moral issue such that I couldn't take the vaccine. I've done some research, he says, and there again, who knows what are actual facts. But according to Reuters, fetal cell lines are used to develop vaccines, including COVID-19 vaccines. But the vaccine goes through a purification process before delivery, and these cells do not form a component of the vaccine. And then she continued, to me, it sounds like fetal cells are still a base in the vaccine. Otherwise, why would they be used at all in the development of it? And then she asked if we could shed some light on this. So, Jimmy, I've been watching and researching this for months as well, and for information that is coming out every day, I've been watching that. But actually, I've intentionally not said much about it publicly, one, because it's very controversial, and it's caused a lot of division between friends and colleagues and even within families. It's been incredibly polarizing. And so I wanted to make sure I had enough information to give an informed and balanced perspective, and I think maybe I do now. 
Well, David, before we get into that discussion and look at a couple of the main issues, I know that you've reached out on social media to get various perspectives as well as some help with research on the vaccine. What's been the response in general, and has anything particular stood out with the feedback that you've received? Well, Jimmy, I did a couple of posts on Facebook with one asking for comments and articles and videos, and the other was a survey that I put up, and several weren't able to take the survey, which makes me wonder even if Facebook may have been involved with that. Anyway, I ended up with only a small sample for the three-question survey, but the trend was about 25% saying they would get the vaccine right away, 25% wouldn't get it under any circumstances, and about 50% said uh, they weren't planning on getting it now, but are open to reconsider it. And concerning my post with requests for comments and links, uh, there really was quite a large response with several things standing out to me. First, there were links to articles and videos on all sides of the issue, from very pro-vaccine to very anti-vaccine, and there were reputable and believable authorities on all sides, making it very difficult to sort through, especially for the average person sitting in the pew, I would say, who doesn't deal with this kind of stuff all the time. And another was that personal views were often shaped by personal experiences and situations, as well as the information they found to support those views. So I would say we need to be a little bit careful because confirmation bias could be an issue as people try to decide what to do. And a third thing was that everyone was able to be civil on that discussion, even though there was often a difference of opinion. And I think this is important and something that's often missing from the national discussion. And then finally, as I reflected on the survey, I think most have a wait-and-see attitude as they try to figure everything out, which is really where I am on this. David, I know one of the major ethical and moral concerns, and this was raised from the emails that you received, surrounds the use of fetal tissue in the production of this and really any other vaccines. What have you found concerning this particular issue? Well, Jimmy, like everything else, there's a lot of conflicting information out there. So, as I said, it's difficult to sort through. I did find a helpful article on the website of the Kennedy Institute of Ethics at Georgetown University that said this, some of the vaccines currently used to prevent diseases such as rubella, measles, rabies, poliomyelitis, hepatitis A, chickenpox, or smallpox, are produced using tissues from human abortions. The vaccines consist of dead or attenuated live viruses that are introduced into the patient's body to activate the body's defense against that virus without becoming ill. And then the article went on to say the most widely used fetal cells are WI38 and MRC5. The WI38 cells were in 1962 from the lung of a three-month female fetus and the MRC5 cells were obtained in 1966 from the lungs of a 14-week male fetus. So, Jimmy, the current vaccines are from Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca, with the first two using mRNA technology that doesn't involve fetal cells, but which carries concerns by some about altering DNA, and some say it can and others say it can't. The AstraZeneca vaccine and at least four other candidates are apparently connected to a cell line from aborted fetuses going back to 1972 or 73 and another from 1985. So these aren't the original cells but replications, and that's one reason why some don't see it as a moral issue, but if 
present harvesting is happening, then that would certainly be a problem. But, Jimmy, without question, every believer needs to take the time to become informed and examine their own consciences in this in light of God's Word as they try to make wise decisions about this whole matter. David, another issue that was raised in the email that you received was the question of how we should respond to a government mandate as believers, which I'm sure is making the dilemma even worse for some of us. That's absolutely true. So later on in the email, our listener wrote this. It also appears the COVID-19 vaccine will be mandatory or possibly not mandatory, but without it, people won't be able to fly, shop, etc. And I was wondering about your thoughts. So, Jimmy, I think this is where it gets even trickier when combined with moral concerns about some of the vaccines. And also, side effects are another complicating factor, and these have included pain, fever, Bell's palsy, and even anaphylactic shock, and we have no idea what the long-term effects might be. Uh, I found an article on the University of California San Francisco website that was published on Tuesday that said this, I would say it's a personal decision on when to be vaccinated, not whether to be vaccinated. And then he said, though, it's a societal imperative if we are to overcome this pandemic. And he went on to say, to make sure a safe vaccine is safe for everyone, I'd personally feel most comfortable with six months of data from phase three testing. So he wants to wait, and when you add the fact that this has been highly politicized combined with conflicting information at best and possibly intentional misinformation at worst, trust has been broken across the board. And this means that when it comes to mandates, the most sincere godly believers will reach different conclusions, just like with the masks and social distancing and quarantines and shutdowns, and with maybe more at stake with the vaccines. You know, there may come a time when resistance is warranted, but when that happens, it's a going to be viewed as the same for everyone. And and I know some may not be happy that we're not taking a stronger position on this, but much of this is more philosophical than involving clear-cut biblical principles. So I think there's room to kindly agree to disagree as hard as that might be. David, I've got one final point I want to discuss this week, and I believe we're going to see this issue come up more frequently That involves whether or not the coronavirus vaccine could be tied to the mark of the beast in Revelation chapter 13, which our listener also brought up in her email as well. What thoughts do you have? You're right, and I see that come up a lot on social media, that along with people constantly saying we're seeing prophecy being fulfilled before our eyes, which we're not, the fulfillment of biblical prophecy doesn't begin until the rapture of the church, which is the next event on God's prophetic calendar, as you often say, and then the remaining fulfillment starts to kick in. Our listener wrote this, sounds like Revelation 13, 16, and 17 is nearing fulfillment, and we're seeing the shadows of it. So she's not suggesting the vaccine is the of the beast or the fulfillment of prophecy, as some are. And in my email reply to her, I said this, concerning the mark of the beast, I doubt there is any connection, and the mark is post-rapture, which makes it a non-issue for those who are currently believers. For those during the tribulation who become believers, it looks like it won't necessarily be taken unwittingly, but is a conscious decision to accept the beast system. And we know, Jimmy, the beast system will involve the worship of the Antichrist, who will have declared himself to be God 
and deceive people through false signs and wonders. That's in Second Thessalonians 2. But I would add this, that as with all stage setting, the entire COVID crisis makes it even more clear how all prophecy will be fulfilled quite literally in ways we might not even been able to imagine a few years ago. David, I I do believe you would agree with me. We walked into discussing this issue with fear and trembling. And I'm sure we'll get some emails from our thoughts that we've shared with our friends here on Prophecy Today. But I want to thank you for the research you've done and for what you've been doing on the Internet to get what you were able to give us in answers to this very controversial issue the virus, the coronavirus vaccine, and what we're going to be able to decide, each and every one of us in the future. Thank you, David. We'll have another conversation next week. Great. Glad to do it, Jimmy. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to look at all of what our broadcast partners had to say. I'll open the Bible. We'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. And just before we do that, May I ask you to prayerfully consider your end-of-year giving. Prophecy Today is a ministry that reaches out to tell the world of the soon coming of Jesus Christ to make sure that everybody's prepared, living pure, and being productive until the shout for the rapture does take place. Thank you for what you may consider giving in your end-of-year giving to the Prophecy Today ministry. 
On Prophecy Today weekend, we went around the world to speak with my broadcast partners for the latest details on the current events seemingly setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. You know, each week, these are key reports for you to hear. If you had to miss any of these reports today, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Prophecy Today Radio Network, found there on the right-hand column. That is the location where you can hear each and every report that we had with the broadcast partners. That's prophecytoday.com. Then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and be sure to tell a family member or a friend about these reports. Now I'm going to take a moment to give you my prophetic perspective on these news stories. We talked with Ken Timmerman. He covers geopolitical activities around the world, and we discuss the Chinese military making ready to set up operations in the Caribbean. Boy, that is getting close to America, about 90 miles off the shores of Florida. You know, we report what China is doing because God's Word reveals the significance of China in the last days. That's Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12. These kings of the East talked about in that passage include China, the most populated nation in our world today. Then I had a conversation with David Dolan, his Middle East News Update, and we talked about normalization of relations between Morocco and Israel. It's happening in our world today. It's another of the Arab states normalizing relations with Israel. Now that makes six Arab states that have done that. Arab states with peace agreements now with the Jewish state that will fail, which will then bring about the Antichrist to come on the scene and confirm these peace agreements, which will actually start the seven-year period of time. That's Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. One of our favorite broadcast partners, Winky Madad, came to tell us of the possibility, you're not going to believe it, a possibility of a fourth election in two years in Israel. Israel, the Jewish state, will be the main focus of all of Bible prophecy. As you study through the scriptures, you will see that is the case. And as we watch Israel, we see God pulling everything together. God does that through politics. That's why we report on the political arena in Israel. The possibility of a fourth election in two years in Israel. Tangible evidence of God using politics to fulfill his will. John Rood covers the European Union for us, another key region of the world. And John told us about the European summit on its agenda, sanctions focused on Turkey. Now remember, both Turkey and the European Union will be major players in the seven-year tribulation period. That's Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, and then verses 23 and 24. The ten horns representing the revived Roman Empire. 
Turkey, mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 2 and 6, Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma, will be another major player. So we see that politics is indeed setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled in a future tomorrow. Sam Rohr and I had a great discussion on the political situation here in America. We recall that Romans 13 verse 1 says God ordains all leaders that are in those political decisions, even the President of the United States. And then in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17, we looked at that as well. That's where God says he will put into the hearts of political leaders to make political decisions that will fulfill his will. That is a blessed assurance. David James and I concluded my conversations with our broadcast partners. We talked about the coronavirus vaccine. Interesting information David gave us, but there are still, of course, many questions. However, one question is going to be that the vaccine is not the mark of the beast. That mark, Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17, happens at the midway point of the tribulation. We, as Christians, will have been raptured up and out of here before the mark of the beast is even on the world scene to be dealt with. You know, each week, these are key reports for you to hear. If you had to miss any of these reports today, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Prophecy Today Radio Network, found there on the right-hand column. That is the location where you can hear each and every report that we had with the broadcast partners. That's prophecytoday.com. Then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, And be sure to tell a family member or a friend about these reports. You know, all of these reports help us to see how God's prophetic scenario is coming into better focus. That's why we bring these broadcast partners to our table to stay on top of all current events that are happening around the world. It is tangible evidence that God's scenario could quickly move to fulfillment in the very, very near future. The next event, by the way, as you remember, is the rapture of the church. When Jesus shouts, the archangel shouts, the trump of God sounds, and you and I, who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, will be caught up to meet him in the air. That rapture could actually happen any day now. In fact, even today. That said, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.